Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, verses 16 through 21 together. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and so that you may prosper in the land the Lord your God has given you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give dishonest testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's wife or desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You pray with me as we look at this word together today. Fathers, we consider the second half of the Ten Commandments this morning, having, uh, having visited the first half last week. Uh, God, would you give us minds that understand your word? Would you give us ears that are ready to hear the truth? Would you give us hearts that desire to obey you and desire to please you? God, I pray that you would work to continue to build your church among us, build your kingdom here in Lower Borough and beyond. God, use our lives Use our lives to bring about eternal fruit for the kingdom of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, Greg kicked us off with the, ten, the, the first half of the Ten Commandments, and we're kind, we kind of broke down the Ten Commandments in a way that a lot of people typically look at them. You've got the first four commandments ha, have instruction regarding our vertical relationship with God, and then the, the final six tend to our horizontal relationship with one another. And so that's how we, we broke it down. Uh, I actually at one point considered doing a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments, but that's not a bad idea, just not the direction we wanted to go in Deuteronomy in order to keep things moving. And so today we look at the horizontal relationship. We look at what it means to, to love others. And as we think through how how the Ten Commandments apply to our lives, because we are not Old Testament Israel standing uh, before Moses preparing to go into the promised land. We're 21st century Christians. And so we need to be discerning as to how to apply what was, what was given to Old Testament Israel as their law, how we apply that to our lives today as New Covenant Christians. And so I want to give us some guiding principles. The first one you'll see on the handout is this. The Ten Commandments were given as a guide to how the people of God should live in response to what God has done to save them. Key word there is response. They're given as a guide to how the people of God should live in response to what God has done to save them. In other words, so a lot of people take the Ten Commandments and say, hey, those are pretty good. that's a pretty good moral code. And, and that it is. There's no arguing that. This is an excellent moral code, actually. And they take those Ten Commandments and say, maybe, maybe we should all try to live by this to make society better. And so we, we, there was a time in American history where we placed the Ten Commandments in our courtrooms and in our schoolhouses, and we said, if everybody would just do these ten things, the world would be a better place. And certainly that's an oversimplification of the history of the Ten Commandments in the U.S., but if you just entertain that thought, the problem with that is, not the problem with posting the Ten Commandments, but the problem with that mentality that if we do these things, we'll be better people, is that it, it removes them from the context in which they were given in the first place. And the context that they were given in is important. 
God has rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He has miraculously delivered his people. It says in sort of the preface to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 verse 6, God starts this way. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Before he reminds them of these Ten Commandments, he reminds them of what he's done to save them. Setting the context. that God did not go to Israel in, in Egypt when they were slaves and give them the law and say, if you obey these Ten Commandments, I will deliver you from slavery. But that's exactly how we often treat them. If we do these things, God will love us. God will rescue us. God will do good for us. What these are, in, in fact, in reality, is God has already decided to love Israel. He has already chosen to rescue them and to deliver them out of slavery. Now what he's asking them to do, what he's commanding them to do, is to respond to what he has done for them by keeping these commands. Do you understand the importance of the difference there? It's important that we understand this is, this is meant to be our response to God, not what we do to earn his love and his favor. We don't obey God to earn his love. He has freely given his love, and we are to respond to that love. That's exactly what he was commanding the Israelites to do. He's already chosen them. He's already loved them. He's already delivered them out of slavery. They're not going to do these things to earn his help. He's given it. And now he's asking them to respond. So that's, that's guiding principle number one. These are to be a guide as to how the people of God should live in response to what God has already done to save them. The second thing on the handout is this. The Ten Commandments are best understood as practical ways of loving God and loving neighbor. They're best understood as practical ways of loving God and loving neighbor. When we take the Ten Commandments, remove them from context, and just say, these sound like ten pretty good laws to start with. If you want to have a, a good and moral society, let's start with these things, things like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. That's a good place to start. But, but what we're doing is we're focused on the trees and missing the forest. I suggest we step back and we understand that these Ten Commandments are actually meant to be the practical application of two bigger, more important guiding laws or principles. Let me show you that from Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. Matthew 22 says in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, the he, had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, and an, ex an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. So if you, you have to understand these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these experts in the law, these are men who love to, to study and debate and talk about and, and really pick apart the the laws that had been given under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. That's what they did. And the Sadducees and Pharisees had 
different perspectives on how to interpret and apply those laws. And so Jesus has come on the scene and he's, he's gained a lot of popularity and people are listening to him and following him. And so they want to they wanna test him, but they also want to trip him up. But this, the Pharisees are, are hoping to, to find Jesus saying something that either discredits him or discredits their, their, their religious and political opponents, the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are doing the same. If they can get Jesus to say something that either discredits him or their opponents, then that's a win. And so they're coming to him and they're asking him questions. One of them says, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? There are over 600 commands in the Old Testament. Which one of these is the greatest? Verse 37, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. If that's true, then what we have in the Ten Commandments is practical ways to apply these two laws. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments become nuances or they become specific ways to apply those laws to everyday living. How, do we, how are we going to love God? Do we just do whatever seems right to us? Do we just make up our own way of loving God? No, God specifically instructs them on how in, in the Ten Commandments and throughout the other 600 commandments of the Old Testament, he's telling people, he's specifically Old Testament Israel, how to love him. He's telling them what it looks like. How do I love God in this situation? How do I love God in that situation? How do I love God in regards to this or to that? The commandments become practical ways of really keeping these two laws. How do I love my neighbor? Well, love honors mother and father. Love protects life. It doesn't take life. That's murder. Love pursues purity, not adultery. Love gives instead of taking. That's, that's stealing. Love preserves the truth. It does not lie. It does not give dishonest testimony against neighbor. Love wants what is best for others. It doesn't covet. It doesn't desire what others have been blessed with. It rejoices in the fact that they have been blessed with that. So, go back to the forest and the trees thing. The forest is love God and love neighbor. The trees are these individual, more specific commands, but they're all ways of practically working out how we love God and how we love neighbor. That's, that's I think, a helpful principle for understanding the Ten Commandments. So what that means if, if the law can be summed up in love God and love neighbor, then that means, the next thing you see on the handout, that technical observance does not satisfy the spirit of God's law. Technical observance does not satisfy the spirit of God's law, meaning that you could technically keep these ten commands, although I would contend nobody nobody really could or nobody really has 
But you can say, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I've kept that command. Well, it's, the, the command is do not kill. The command is love your neighbor. And one specific nuance of that is don't kill them. <laughs> it's a good start, right? You, you can say I've not committed adultery. I've, I've not bedded with somebody I'm not married to. But that is simply one specific application of the real command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're going to see Jesus kind of unpack this a little bit. He says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. He's referring to the Ten Commandments. They were specifically told not to murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Man, that escalated really quickly. <laughs> Jesus went from do not murder, something that, listen, people, people do murder, that there may be somebody here who has committed murder, that's a serious thing. I'm not making light of that at all, and I'm thankful for God's grace and forgiveness in all things. But generally speaking, most of us expect to go through life without murdering somebody. True? Most of us, that's not to say, that's not to say we don't think about it. <laughs> that's not to say we don't fantasize about, but most of us expect to get through life without murdering anybody. So you know, in terms of the Ten Commandments, if if this is graded on like an A, B, C, D scale, you know, if I keep 90% of the commandments or 9 out of 10, that's an A. If I keep 8 out of 10, that's a B. You know, you start to add things up. You're like, there's, there's one I know I can do. But Jesus comes along and he says, you're focused on what I'm calling, he doesn't use these words, but what I'm calling technical observance. The real command is love your neighbor. And if you, to use the examples he gives, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you are not loving your neighbor. Therefore, you will be subject to judgment. If you insult your brother or sister, you will be subject to the court. You're not loving your neighbor. Whoever says, you fool, whoever, whoever speaks or curses with derogatory names towards his brother or sister, will be subject to hellfire. The, that's because the command is love your neighbor. In any, any, at any point where you fail to love your neighbor, when you fail to love the people around you, whether it's simply getting angry with them and wanting to hurt them, casting insults at them, calling them derogatory names, these are not loving your neighbor. You've failed to keep the law. But I didn't murder. That's not the command. This is part of the larger command, which is to love your neighbor. Therefore, technical observance does not satisfy the spirit of God's law. The spirit of God's law is love in all things. It's the same thing when we're talking about the horizontal relationship from man to man. 
It's the same thing when we apply this to our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. You can technically keep the Sabbath. When, when the guys and I get over to Israel, um, one of the things we'll see Friday evening at sundown, everything closes in Israel. That's when the Sabbath begins. It starts Friday evening at sundown, and it goes until Saturday evening at sundown. And there will be a lot of people who are technically keeping the Sabbath. But are they loving God? Not necessarily. Some of them will be and some of them won't be. But all of them will be technically observing the, the law, the rule. They'll be doing what was commanded if you, if you focus in on the trees and miss the forest. But, they, but if they're not loving God, then they're breaking the, the whole law. This is a lot harder than it seems on the surface, isn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if we were to break down the Ten Commandments, even as they are recorded here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I guarantee we, there's nobody in this room who's kept those Ten Commandments. But most of us probably think we're doing better than we really are. And then Jesus comes and he says, oh, good for you. You haven't murdered, but have you always loved? And then he goes on in verse 27. We're still in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. And they're all like, great. We saw what he did with murder. <laughs> What's he going to do with adultery? And he does exactly that. He says, do, you've heard it said, don't, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How is that possible? It's possible because the command is love your neighbor. Love does not lust. And love does not violate even in thought, let alone in deed. Unless you say, well, I don't lust after women. I lust after men. You understand the spirit of the law applies to that, right? That's the, that's the point. The, the religious Jews of that day were so obsessed with this idea of technical observance if, if we can find a way to really keep these 600 laws as they are stated, then we will be righteous. We will be holy. Jesus comes and he just tears them apart. He tears them apart because he wasn't interested in that technical observance of the letter of the law. He wanted them to understand the spirit of the law which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And at that, they had seriously failed. The next thing on the handout sort of goes hand in hand with this, <clears throat> excuse me, outward religious devotion that is not driven by love of God and love of man is therefore useless. If technical observance of the law does not satisfy the spirit of the law, then that means any act of outward religious devotion, I'll try to define that a little bit, any act of outward religious devotion that's not driven by love of God and love of man is useless. Outward religious devotion in our context could be what we're doing right now. Well, I got up, I showered, and I went to church, 
I threw a little bit of money in the offering. I took communion. I did, I did the Christian things. I went and ate Chick-fil-A after church. Apparently, that's a Christian thing. It's one I've been trying. I, I, that's right. It's closed on Sunday. You can't. So you have to go and you have to get, you have to get the real Lord's chicken, which is Big Shot Bob's uh, wings. That's the Lord's chicken right there. That's the good stuff. You do the Christian things, though, is what we're saying. Like, you, you, you behaved properly. I don't take the Lord's name in vain. I don't swear. I don't get drunk. I don't know. Whatever. You feel it. Whatever it is that you do that thinks you think makes you a good Christian, that, that can all become outward religious devotion and yet not be driven by love of God and love of man. And if that's the case, it's useless. You're not keeping God's law. In Luke chapter 10, this is where Jesus touches on this. Another expert in the law in Luke 10 comes, stood up to test him saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What an awesome question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds with what is written in the law and how do you read it? This man answered, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He heard Jesus's response, apparently. Last time someone asked him a question about the law, which, which is the greatest commandment. And so he repeats verbatim back to Jesus what he has already taught. What is written in the law is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly, verse 28. He, he told him, do this and you will live. But this man says, verse 29 tells us he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, we don't necessarily know why he asked that other than Jesus' response gives us a pretty good hint. Jesus responds not immediately by defining who his neighbor is, because obviously this man has loved some people as himself, but has, has withheld such love from others. And his hope is that Jesus is going to define neighbor the way he defines neighbor. Many of us excel in loving the people that we find easy to love. They might be the people who think like us or act like us or value the same things as us. So as long as our neighbor is those people that we find easy to love, then we have kept this command. I think that's where this guy's going because Jesus responds with a story that we call the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan is, is a story about a guy who was robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of a road. And Jesus says this happened to this man, and then he introduces a couple of characters into this story. And the characters that he introduces are the ones that the, the good religious Jews would have expected to be the good guys of the story. So he introduces, he introduces faithful Jewish leaders and he says, okay, so Mr. Faithful Jewish leader comes along and he encounters this guy who's been left for dead 
And what does he do? He passes by. He leaves him to die on the side of the road. And then the next guy comes along and he does the same thing. And at this point, you'd be going, wait a minute, those are the good guys. Where's this story going? And then Jesus introduces another character into the story, the one you would, if you were a Jew at that time, expect to be the bad guy. He says, then a Samaritan came along. And the Jews hated Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans and they despised them and they thought nothing good could come from them. It would be like uh, if, if, uh, if I was to be telling this story and I was like, a Browns fan came along or something. You know, we'd be like, boo! What, are you all Browns fans or something? <laughs> Somebody comes along that we despise, that we, we think no good thing of, and that's the Samaritans. And the, the Samaritan comes along, and this guy shows love. He tends to this man, and he, he helps him get help. He takes them to where he'll be cared for. He pulls out his own, he pulls out his wallet, he uses his own money to, to, to help this guy get back to health. What is Jesus doing here? Why did he take the good guys and make them the bad guys and then take the bad guy and make him the good guy? Because Jesus is showing this man he doesn't really love his neighbor. He loves the people who fit into his circle, but the Samaritans he hates. This guy wanted to justify himself, and Jesus showed him just how unjust he really was. Outward religious devotion that is not driven by love of God and love of man is useless. Jesus picks the most outwardly religious people of, the, of his day and shows their sinfulness. And then he picks the person who has no outward religious devotion and shows him loving. He's... he's He's communicating. It's about, the, it's about those two laws. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, God clearly defines how to do that. I'm not, I'm not preaching that, that love is love or that whatever you perceive as love, love must be rooted in the truth of God's word. God is very specific about what it means according to him which means according to reality, what it means to love God and to love your neighbor. We don't define those things for ourselves. But all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Therefore, the last point you'll see on the handout, true love for God must be expressed by loving those around you. True love for God must be expressed by loving those around you. I want to argue for the next few minutes, I want, to, I want to make the case that you cannot love God without loving the people around you. I'm going to do this from 1 John chapter 4. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples and one of his good friends, and he wrote in his letter in 1 John in chapter 4 verse 7, he said, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that the world might live through him. 
Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. John takes the love that God displays in sending Jesus, his son, to die for our sins, to be our sacrifice, and and he uses that to say, if God loved us this way, we must love others in the same way. We must embrace that loving people is a necessary part of expressing our love for God. This is why I get, I get uncomfortable when people say things, well, I love God, I just don't love his people. Or I love, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. John would say, you don't love God. Because you can't love God without loving people. Why is that? That's so bad. That's terrible. Like, why can't we just love God and hate the people that we want to hate and be irritated with the people that we want to be irritated with? Well, John goes on in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We reverse this. I think we do. I do. We think it's easier to love God than it is to love man. But John says, if you can't love the people that that you can see, you can't love him whom you've not seen. He says in verse 21, if we, and we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. That's so hard. <laughs> That's tough. It's hard. It's hard at times to love the people around us. It's hard at times to love even the most lovable people around us. probably not alone like I get irritated with my best friends (laughs) I was talking to a a pastor friend the other day he said uh I've been married for 43 years 30 of them happily and I thought all right (laughs) I guess it it, that's part of life it's hard it's hard to love people this is a hard standard It's it's a tough rule the reality is you and I cannot keep this law. We cannot love God and love people the way we're commanded to. I don't love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Neither do you. I don't love my neighbor as myself. And neither do you. I'm not saying we don't have moments where we get it right. But the reality is we have a lot more moments where we don't get it right. You, I, don't, I doubt you have gone an hour of any day where you have properly loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's impossible to keep this law. You thought the Ten Commandments were hard. You thought, oh, don't, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't cut. You thought that was difficult. The standard is actually much higher. The standard is to love, love God all the time 
and to love your neighbor all the time. That's the standard. And so that puts us in a place where we have the weight of these commands which we cannot possibly bear up underneath. And we, we've, we've been told that we must do these things to live. We must do these things to live eternally. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God, love neighbor. Do that and you'll live. Okay. What now that I have failed? This is the good news of the gospel. Because we, we most often think of, when, when, if I were to ask you why did Jesus come to earth, probably the first thing that comes to most of our minds, no doubt there are exceptions, but probably most of us think he came to die for our sins. And he did. And thank God that he did. But there's another side to that coin. The purpose of Jesus coming to the earth was not only that he came to die for our sins, but he also came to live the righteous life that God requires of us. He came not only to die the death that we deserve, but to live the life that we were commanded to live and yet have failed to live. If Jesus only came and died for your sins, if he came straight from heaven, went straight to the cross, died for your sins, then your, your debt would be forgiven. However, you still would have no righteousness. Righteousness is not the absence of the guilt of sin. Righteousness is the presence of obedience. Specifically, according to God's law, it's the presence of obedience to those two commands, to love God and to love neighbor. So you've got a clean slate. You've, not been, you, you've been forgiven, but you've not lived the righteous life that God requires. And so Jesus came, and before he went to the cross, he lived that righteous life that God requires of you and me. He became our righteousness. And just as his death on the cross is credited to us as payment for our sins, his righteousness by living faithfully all the days of his life on earth is credited to us as righteousness. Praise God is right. It's an incredible gift. Not only are your sins are forgiven in Jesus, if you have him as your savior, but you are made righteous. You're like, but I'm not righteous. I know. That's why it's a gift of grace. That's why when you stand before God, if, you know, people say things, if, if you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? I don't know if he'll say that or anything. But if he does, just say, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is why. Don't say, because I went to church. Don't say, because I tried to live a good life. Don't say, because I read my Bible. Don't say, because I gave to the offering and I helped out and I served when needed. Say, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. He lived the righteous life that God requires. That's Incredible news. And so now, through faith in him, that payment for sin and the gift of righteousness is credited to us through faith in him. And so now that takes us back to the first point on the handout. Now that we have been rescued from slavery, not in Egypt, 
but slavery to our own sin, now that we have been rescued, that we have been saved, our response to God is to keep these commands. Love God and love our neighbor. And now, as born-again believers, which is what the Bible describes us as, a new creation, now we have a newfound ability to do this better. Because God sends his Holy Spirit to come and live in us and empower us to truly love God and to truly love neighbor in ways that just weren't even possible before we received salvation from Jesus. And so now our lives are about living that out. We make it our aim. We make it our goal to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And there'll be days where you're like, it doesn't feel that much different than before because I'm not doing this really well. I seem to hate everybody around me. I don't even really want to talk to God. I'm just, that's because the presence of sin remains. We're still in this flesh, but you will find by God's grace that you will grow to love God and to love your neighbors yourself because of Jesus Christ causing you to be born again and sending his spirit to live in you. And so now it's our response. It's not us. I don't do this. I don't go to all the things I, I, I mentioned earlier, going to church and serving and, and whatever, sharing the gospel with people outside, whatever it is that we do to live out our Christian faith. I'm not trying to get God to love me. He already loved me. I'm responding to his love by loving God and loving others. That's the good news of the gospel.